Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and today is the brand new start of a new series, which is going to be covering people of the Old Testament, and this could last for at least a year. My partner that's going to do this with me is Dr. Peter Kapsner, and he's on the line as we speak. Peter, welcome. Yeah, thanks, Bill. Really excited for this series. I just There's so much in the Old Testament that remains foreign to me on so many different levels, and really excited to bring in sort of our normal stable of guests and some new ones as well to talk through these characters. Yeah, I went right to the uh, top of my list um, to start this series, and I called uh, Dr. Um, David Lamb, and I said, how about it? He said, yeah, I'm in. And I said, you get to pick who you want, because we're starting, and he jumped on Moses. So that's who we're starting with today, which is going to be outstanding. You know, it is. I think Moses is one of those characters where we all know the really familiar stories, and maybe we have pictures of Charlton Heston raising his arms up, you know, with some blue screen theater back from a 1950s or 60s movie uh, as as the Red Sea is parting, or maybe we know a bit about the Ten Commandments, but there are so many events in his life. He really does cover a wide swath of Scripture. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have fun with David, too, because he's he's just an absolute delightful uh, guest, and I've had him on before, and I love him. And he is the uh, dean of the faculty and the Alan A. McRae professor of Old Testament. And he loves God's word. His uh, full name is David Trout Lamb. So, uh, Peter, today I'll be Bill Walleye Arnold and you'll be Peter C. Bass Kapsner. How about that? <laughs> I do. See, it's way better than carp. If you'd chosen carp, I would have been disappointed. So, yeah. yes, <laughs> and I hear David on the line. David, welcome. Thank you, Bill and Peter. I'm really delighted to join you tonight. Yeah. Well, here's what we did. Uh, the last uh, year and a half or so, we did uh, a series on salvation, which lasted about six months. We we got guests to talk about salvation every week at five o'clock. And then uh, we went on a series on prayer, and we did that for about six months. And then we got to the summer, and we decided we were just going to do whatever came our way and whatever we were kind of excited about. We called that the Sunburnt Series, and we covered a bunch of topics. And to- tonight, we, we start with you in our uh, series on Old Testament uh, characters, and there's a lot to learn. And there's so much we don't know. I think there was some person that said the Old Testament, the description was, it's like a fully furnished room dimly lit. Hmm. (laughs) And I always kind of like that description because there's so much in there, and there's so many people in the Old Testament that we don't know a lot about. Um, Yeah, yeah. And and I said, uh, I called uh, Eric, Tonus, who he's been, he was on the show, and I said, Eric, do you want to do the Old Testament? He goes, yeah, I'd love to. I said, well, what, care, what person from the Old Testament do you want to discuss? And he said, uh, Phineas. And I said, great. Who? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're going to learn a whole lot about Old Testament characters in the next year, and I can't think of a better way to start than with you and talking about Moses. So thank you so much for that, uh, being willing to do this. Oh, you know, uh, Bill, I always love chatting with you, and you make me laugh, and that's good for my soul. So, and good. talking about the Bible, it's just, it's a double bonus. Yeah. So let's start, uh, and Peter is going to be asking questions too. I'm sure mine will be slightly better than his, but... Um, <laughs> Undoubtedly. 
Why is Moses so important? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the thing is, why is he the one that gets to hang out with Jesus and Elijah no on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? You know, the two, you know, what about David or Abraham or some of these other big name guys? And, um, you know, there's there's a lot we could say about this. And, you know, if each of us, uh, if Bill and Peter and I all, each gave our own answers, we'd probably come up with something a little bit different. But um, God really kind of formed the nation of Israel under Moses's leadership. And he's kind of the star of four big books of the Bible, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And he was an amazing leader who um, had an amazing relationship with God. We can learn a lot about prayer from Moses. Um, He gets referred to a lot in the New Testament, um, besides the the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, God delivered the law through through Moses. And so... um, I just think there's a lot we can say about Moses, and he's one of my favorite characters. Um, like everybody else in the Bible, he's flawed, but um, but that's okay. And I think uh, I think he's someone that we can uh, we can learn a lot from. So hopefully, we'll learn a little little bit uh, for our personal lives tonight as we talk about Moses. Yeah, he certainly is on the A team. I mean, why does he get to appear with Elijah and Jesus during the transformation? I know you brought that up, but I mean that's that is inner circle stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I, the, the, the understanding that people will, will often say, and the, the text of the Gospels don't make it clear. So we're, let's just acknowledge we're speculating a little bit here. But I think it's reasonable to speculate that Elijah is somehow kind of representing the prophets. Um, so there's a lot of prophets in the Old Testament, um, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Elijah, Elisha, um, all these other guys. So Elijah, Elijah represents them, but then Moses is kind of responsible on some level for the first five chapters of the Bible, and um, and God delivers the law through Moses. And so between Elisha representing the prophets and Moses representing the, the law, you get a lot of the Old Testament right there. And I think, obviously, with the the at the, the, the transfiguration, the disciples were thinking— Oh, you know, I mean, Peter makes this comment, hey, let's make three tents for three, because you guys are all, I mean, and the, the implication is that you guys are all kind of equivalent. <laughs> but then, you know, <laughs> the voice from heaven says, this is my son, listen to him. It's pretty clear that Jesus is great, as great as um, uh, Moses and Elijah were, Jesus is greater. And so, um, and they're all kind of shocked by that. But I think, um, yeah, there's a lot we can say about Moses just getting us started here. Yeah, well, and David, it's interesting at that point, and when we see him in the New Testament, you might not have guessed based on some of the early events in his life that this would be his trajectory. I mean, he, he actually killed mm. an Egyptian early in life and had to flee into the wilderness. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, Moses has just had a crazy life, you know. Uh, the <laughs> Pharaoh, the, the, the Israelites were getting becoming too numerous this again for those of you guys who aren't familiar it's just the first couple chapters of the book of exodus so exodus starts out the the israelites are too numerous so pharaoh wants to kill them and then he tells them to they throw a male israelite babies into the the nile and so moses's mom jochebed kind of does throw her son into the nile by putting him in this little this little um ark 
Um, he obviously gets caught, gets um, rescued by Pharaoh's daughter, which is so ironic. The, the, she's basically rescuing him from her father, who wanted to kill him. So there's kind of some some ironies there. He grows up, somehow figures out that he's an Israelite, sees this Egyptian beating up on an Israelite. And I don't know exactly what's happening there for, for Moses, but Moses seems to have compassion on his fellow um, Israelite and strikes this Egyptian and basically kills him. And you think, now this is kind of a strange guy, you know, strange choice to pick for the person that's going to be the lawgiver. Because <laughs> <laughs> one of the Ten Commandments is don't, you know, don't murder, right? Um, and here's a guy that, you know, probably one of the first things we find out about him is he's, he's a murderer. Um, but, um, and then God calls him to deliver the people. Um, so it's strange. But I think that one of the things we, we need to be just always be tell, talking about when it comes to heroes of the Old Testament, heroes of the New Testament is, these are all deeply flawed individuals, um, and and let's not make them out to, to be saints and kind of holy, which keeps them kind of puts them up on a pedestal. But he was a flawed person. But you know what? He was willing to act as a deliverer, and that's you know we could say he was misguided and he kind of maybe overreacted there with killing this Egyptian who was beating up on an Israelite. But I think it's pretty clear there that God saw this is somebody that has a heart for the Israelites and wants to deliver them. He, what he did was wrong, but he, you could still see his heart there that he's a guy that wants to ultimately deliver people from oppression, uh, his own people. And so I think that's part of why God was at work uh, choosing him to be the deliverer for the nation. And David, just go, as you were going through his backstory, there was one little word uh, that I'd love to, to tease out. Um, you used the word ark, I believe, if I heard you correctly, in terms of yeah. the, the basket that Moses was in. And, and yeah. at the risk of revealing my rudimentary Hebrew knowledge, uh, my understanding is that that word uh, of the yeah. basket that Moses was in was the same word as Noah's ark. And yeah. we're talking about how God is delivering through the waters, right? Yeah. There's some, there's some yeah, symbolism in this from what I understand. It's beautiful. No, that's a great point, Peter. Thank you for bringing that out. Yeah. It's literally an ark. Now, again, obviously, you know, we have Noah's family um, in Genesis 6 and 7 and 8 um, versus just this baby. But, you know, on some level, God is using this little ark, um, which, you know, kind of gets translated as a papyrus basket in most of our English translations. But, yeah, it's the same word, uh, uh, Teva. Uh, I have sandals made by Teva. Sorry, I, this is not an advertisement. <laughs> but um, the little art sandals, I like to think of them. I'm, um, actually, you know, Hurricane Ida <laughs> is, uh, I guess it's Tropical Storm, is hitting my house right now. It's hitting the Mid-Atlantic. I live near Philadelphia. And this after, um, after I'm done with this interview, I'm going to grab my sons, and we're going to try to put together an art because I've got flooding in my backyard, and it's going to come into my basement pretty soon here. So, um, But, yeah, no, thanks for pointing that out, Peter. I appreciate that, and I, now I feel all kinds of pressure to get you outside and start <laughs> bailing water and doing whatever you can. So thank you. Thank you, uh, David, for hanging in there. Um, I'm just curious. So we're talking about Moses today with uh, Dr. Uh, David Lamb and an Old Testament professor. And how often does Moses's name show up in the Bible? Is he like one of the m most recognized names in the Old Testament? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, he, he's, I mean, this is one of the things that you know, we, we could talk. I'm kind of a nerd. <laughs> 
So I have an engineering background. And so, I, you know, I use Bible software to count things sometimes. And, um, you know, I'm a little bit weird with amongst Old Testament scholars for, for a variety of reasons. <laughs> One of the things I like to do is I like to count things up. Yeah, his name actually appears um, over, again, when we're doing searches, we're, we have to be a little bit careful because um, I'm doing searches. When I need to tell people I'm doing a search in, an, in English because the, 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 the Bible, Old Testament's largely written in Hebrew, the New Testament's in Greek. But in the English Bibles, uh, Moses shows up over 800 times, which tells me, I mean, uh, David's about a thousand. Jesus is about a thousand. Uh, Abraham only shows up a couple hundred times. Elijah only is about a hundred times. So Moses is pretty big. Yeah. Wow. Um, uh, over 800 times in the Bible. And I think that that tells us something about how the Bible views him and his importance uh, in God's word. Yeah. We're talking about Moses today with Dr. David Lamb and Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are so delighted to start our brand new series on uh, people of the Old Testament. We're going to do this for a year, I bet at least. We're so glad that David is starting us off tonight on Moses. We'll take a short break and be right back. If you've got any question uh, regarding Moses, I bet we'd be happy to take it. 877-933-2484 is our text line. You can also email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. Be right back. today. We're talking to Dr. David Lamb. He's been nice enough to start off our series on uh, characters and people of the Old Testament, and he decided that he would talk about Moses, and uh, Peter Kapsner and I are so happy to start this series, and Peter, I know we're going to learn a lot, uh, me more than you. Uh, You actually asked a great question, so I feel like you're ahead a little bit right now, so (laughs) maybe I can ask the next one. Okay? Do you mind? It sounds like a great plan. I think it's just a slight lead, though, just by a nose at best. Okay. So, David, um, let me ask you this. Uh, Moses was resistant to God's call in in Exodus, like chapters 3 and 4. He wasn't talking to some angel trainee. He was talking to God. Why was he so resistant? Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. Thank uh, you, Bill. I, Make a note <laughs> of that, Rosie. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm keeping track here. So, Bill, okay. two, three. Okay. Head right um, now. Yes. Yeah. So, um, I, I like to look at call narratives in the Bible, and we see see them some in the New Testament. Obviously, when Jesus calls the disciples, um, God calls uh, Gideon, and and Judges chapter six. God calls Isaiah, and Isaiah chapter six. But the call of Moses is perhaps one of the most significant call narratives. Um, and for any of you guys who are trying to figure out God's will in your life, look at some of these call narratives. What lessons can we learn about how God speaks and how God, how God gets people's attention? And um, I think these are just 
very fruitful text to look at as we're thinking about uh, figuring out God's will on for our lives. But Moses is called narrative. Is, I think it's a, it's a couple of chapters long, and it's I think one of the longest, if not the longest, in the Bible. And one of the things that makes it so long is Moses basically kind of keeps saying, "No, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you," until God finally gets mad at Moses mm-hmm. um, and uh, in, in Exodus 4, and it's actually the first place in the Bible that it tells us God gets angry, <laughs> which, you know, I mean, I'm not saying he didn't get angry before. It's just the, the Bible never says that. And so it's the first place God gets, um, gets mad, and it, the, the, God's anger gets Moses' attention. But I just think, I don't know all of why Moses was so resistant, but I think on some level, you know, the the, the reason he left Egypt was Pharaoh wanted to kill him. <laughs> and I'm not sure he was too excited about going back. Now, we, we assume it's probably been, been about 40 years um, since he killed this guy, and now he's coming back. Um, and we're pretty, sure, we're pretty sure it's a different Pharaoh at this point in time. So, um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Let, let um, me – oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Yeah, I, I want to take it uh, to a place now that is kind of weird, if that's all right. Yeah, um, go. Because we're still in Exodus. I'm in chapter four still, and yeah, I, I'm I'm up against the bridegroom of blood incident. Hello. Yeah. I could use some explaining yeah. on that one. Yeah, and again, for those of you guys who are not as familiar with this story, let me just summarize what happens real quick. So <laughs> Moses has finally decided to go back to Egypt. And um, uh, it says uh, in chapter 4, verse 24 of Exodus, um, the Lord met him and tried to kill him. (laughs) Like, tried to kill him, but obviously God somehow wasn't successful. And so Zipporah basically circumcised her son at this point in time and and threw the the, the foreskin uh, at Moses. And then she says, truly, you are a bridegroom of blood to me. well, I love what, what biblical scholars say about this. Uh, this is um, I'll tell you a quote from this guy, David Penchansky. I'm assuming most of you guys haven't heard of him. Maybe you have. But he says, biblical scholars love this passage because it is totally incomprehensible. <laughs> <laughs> what a great, it's just so weird and confusing. So um, now some of you guys, you may have a call, um, Bill, you may have a caller out there that has kind of solved this problem. And if so, I'd love to talk to this person. But um, it is really weird. I think a couple things that we could say are um, presumably Moses should have known um, that his son should have been uh, circumcised. Um, the, this, the text doesn't make any sense at all if um, he sh- didn't have this knowledge. And apparently Zipporah, his wife, knew this. So even his wife knew it. Um, um, and so uh, God tried to kill him. The other thing that I love about this story is if you kind of read through the first couple chapters of Exodus, people keep trying to kill Moses. Pharaoh tries to kill him a couple of times. Um, you know, wanting to kill the babies, the, the the midwives were supposed to kill all baby boys. They were supposed to get thrown in the Nile. Um, Pharaoh tried to kill him when he had to flee, wanted to kill him. Um, and then yet another time, God, God tries to kill him here. But in each case, interestingly, it's a woman that saves Moses's life. Um, and this time, his wife, Zipporah, um, 
and she calls him a bride and womb of blood. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but it's clear that God, as he is going back to Egypt to deliver his people, he needs to get his life and his family and, and this circumcision, which was a covenant that God made with Abraham back in Genesis 16. He needed to be fully committed, fully devoted to God. And I think this bridegroom of blood incident certainly got Moses' attention. And look at what he does over the next couple of chapters. He's a pretty impressive guy. So, um, you know, sometimes we kind of get scared straight, and it seemed to work for Moses um, in this incident. David, can you speak a little bit uh, to the women in Moses' life? Because there's Miriam as well. And, and these women yeah. play some pretty key roles at some pretty pivotal points in the story. They do. And it, it is really interesting. They're all kind of um, – uh, well, M- Moses's mother, basically, um, and we find out later her, her name is Jochebed. Moses's mother and Moses's sister, at, at, in the early stages, basically kind of risked their life to keep this baby Moses alive. And then Pharaoh's daughter um, uh, kind of takes a risk, and you know I don't know what would have happened to her. Um, but then Miriam kind of speaks up again and points out to um, Pharaoh's daughter that. Um, that well, if you need somebody to, to nurse the child, I can I can recommend somebody. And and you know, uh, Jochebed ends up being able to nurse uh, M- Moses. Um, and so there's all these, um, and then obviously the bridegroom of blood uh, with Zipporah kind of rescuing his life. So um, Miriam is a pretty interesting person, and she ends up kind of contributing to this song. In chapter 15, on the other side, they've, they've crossed the Red Sea, and then, you know, there's the song of Moses, and then there's the song of Miriam, and, um, you know, the, the text speaks of her um, as a prophet or a prophetess that um, God is working through and speaking through. And so, um, you know, Miriam and Aaron uh, and Moses have quite, it was a high-powered family partnership uh, that is kind of leading the people out of Egyptian oppression. So good. Um, Dr. David Trout-Lamb is our guest. He is a Old Testament uh, professor at Missio Seminary, and he has uh, agreed to start our Old uh, Testament uh, study for the next year, and we're talking about Moses. And that's some great enthusiasm for this series that have already propped up, which I love. And if you have any question about Moses, I know we'd be more than happy to take it. Uh, you can send a text to 877 877- Nine three three two four eight four again eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. We're talking about Moses today, but David has also uh, written five books, and a great way to see David's good-looking picture and learn more about his writing and his teaching and everything else. You can go right to his website, davidtlam.com. Davidtlam.com. So, Peter, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, I know you got questions because. Uh, Apparently, you're asking good questions today, and I know I'm trying to ask good questions. So we will uh, have all kinds of questions for David, and maybe we'll have some as well from uh, people who are listening to the show today. Again, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back with Dr. David T. Lamb in just a minute.
It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Welcome back to our Old Testament series, which is starting today. So off, we're off to a good start. Dr. David T. Lamb, the T starts, uh, stands for trout. I know that personally. And I'm not afraid to mention it on the air. So um, we're talking uh, about Moses today. He picked it, and he picked the, the person, and we're doing uh, Moses. Got some great questions coming in. David, maybe I can start with a, a question that just came in, and it has to do with Moses and his speech impediment. Um, was it was that something that always troubled him, uh, even as a young man, an upcoming pharaoh in Egypt? Is the speaking impediment something he acquired in his flight, or do you think he's uh, something he's always he always dealt with? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, uh, we don't know a lot about it, um, and so um, one of the things I tell my students because I, I teach at a seminary is I tell them, don't make things up. Um, when you teach it on the Bible, let's not make things up because there's, there's a word for that. We call that heresy. Um, and the other thing is don't repeat things that other people have made up. That's the court of the corollary. Um, and so the Bible doesn't tell us much about his, um, his speech impediment, except when he is speaking to God and he says, I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. Um, now, you know, it's, it's a little bit like, I'm sure you probably know a friend who thinks, well, I'm not a good speaker. And you're thinking, wow, how could you say that? You're an amazing speaker. Um, and I don't know if that's what, what Moses was actually like or not. Maybe he's just being really humble. I mean, uh, in later in Numbers, it says that he's the, the most humble person that's ever kind of walked the earth. Um, so maybe that's a little bit what's behind his speech. I mean, God kind of responds to him and says, hey, who gives speech to mortals? Who makes them dumber? You know, look, I'm the one that gives you this, this, your voice. I gave you your mouth. Um, I can make you speak. Um, and so it may be that it, this was just something that was kind of Moses lacked confidence, but he, he is an amazing speaker. He ends up becoming an amazing speaker, and I don't know exactly, I'm sure that God was behind that, but he confronts the most powerful man on the planet when he talks to Pharaoh and tells, tells Pharaoh, hey, let my people go. And then he comes back at God in some pretty bold and amazing ways. And so um, I don't know exactly mm-hmm. where his speech impediment came from and exactly what it meant or, or all, and I don't, I don't think we can say a lot. Um, but we can say whether whatever impediment he had, he overcame it and became an amazing speaker uh, and leader, um, despite any impediment that he might have had. Mm-hmm. David, I had a listener that wants to know about uh, something an author uh, said in a book, and maybe you can talk to its credibility or not. It's regarding Exodus seventeen six, and I can read it real quick. Behold, I will stand before thee. There upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, and the people may drink. Okay, there's there's the verse, right? And the question okay. is, um, where Moses is told to strike the rock to get water, it says that God would be standing there. And I just read a book where the author said that Moses actually struck God. Could that be correct? Um, well... I mean, 
I will be standing there on the rock, strike the rock. I mean, (laughs) that's an interesting theory. Again, I I, I don't think I could – I couldn't speak as authoritatively um, as the author of this book uh, about that subject. I I mean, I think you could kind of envision that. It's kind of an interesting theory. What I would need to do is, I mean, I'm pull, I pull, I've got the Hebrew here, um, and I'm looking at it right now. And, you know, I think the, all the, actually all the English translations are fine here. So I wouldn't kind of want to point anything out, but um, it's an interesting theory. Um, I think he says, strike the rock. I mean, yes, okay, maybe if God is on the rock, then he is sort of striking God on some level. I think that the the problem is, like, how do we interpret, I will be standing there in front of you? Um, You know, what does that mean? Do we understand that literally or maybe more figuratively? Um, Because there weren't any other obvious physical manifestations of God's presence um, at that point in time. So, it's it's an interesting theory. It's one I haven't heard heard before. Um, I'll try to spend some more time thinking about it. Okay. But, um, I, I probably couldn't speak. I wouldn't say it as authoritatively or as clearly as the author um, in this book that um, that your your listener has uh, has just referred to. Appreciate that. Yeah, David, maybe if you could just take a, a second and a slight departure from the story of Moses, but on that topic, when somebody comes up with a theory like that, or we're looking at these difficult stories, because there's a lot of difficult stories in the life of Moses, what process do you go through to try to best understand what the biblical authors were writing about here to to go from theory to something to say, hey, this is what I think yeah. is actually happening? I think that's a great, that's a great question, Peter. I, I think we... What we that we first got to do is we got to study the text, and we got to read the text. Um, and um, you know, you probably have some readers out there that have done a little bit of work with Greek or Hebrew. But my guess is the vast majority of your li- your listeners um, are not going to be familiar with Greek or Hebrew, and that's totally fine. There's a lot we can do with English. Maybe some of you guys are reading other languages: Spanish, I don't know, French. Um, uh, Chinese, and if and if you are, that's fantastic too. But for most of us, we're going to be kind of uh, reading in English. Um, so we read the text in our own language, English for most of us, and then we kind of study it on our own. And then you can, it's not hard to do a little bit of internet research, or maybe you've got some, some you know, at your church, you've got some resources, maybe even some commentaries that you can check out Um um, people send me emails all the time and say, hey, I, I'm looking for a, a good commentary on Jeremiah or Psalms or Leviticus, and I will make recommendations. Um, you know, a good, you can buy a good commentary for somewhere, but a good used commentary for somewhere between $15 and, and $30. So if you really are serious, like you want to get to know the book of Exodus a little bit better, you could check out a good commentary. If, if you come up with a theory or you come across a theory that no one else has thought of before, there's a good chance that, well, there's a good reason that no one else has thought of it before. <laughs> if it's really kind of idiosyncratic, it probably doesn't have a lot of textual support. And, it you know, you got to be careful about kind of moving into heresy land there. So I just, anything that just, that when I encounter something that I haven't heard from somebody else anywhere else, I'm just going to be a little skeptical, and I, I want to see new things in God's Word, um, but, but I also want to be, like, 
sometimes if you're in a Bible study or in like a Sunday school class at your church and someone comes up with an interesting idea and everybody else goes, yeah, I don't really see that there. And like three or four other people say, yeah, that's, that's an interesting idea, but I don't really buy it. Well, I think that's, that's a good thing. What we do like in our Sunday school classes, we try to come along and help people to make sure that the, the new ideas that we're coming up with are really coming straight from Scripture and God's Word. And then if not, maybe that there are some, our brothers and sisters in Christ can help us. Um, or maybe if you've got um, access to a library or some commentators, they can help you as, as well. But for me, I, I, you know, I've written a commentary. It's coming out in a couple of months. I'm going to be working on another commentary. I, I engage. I, mean, I think, you know, I think I'm, I'm a, I know my Bible pretty well, and I'm, I'm actually reading the Greek and the Hebrew, but I'm interacting with 20, 25 other scholars. And if I'm coming up with something that's totally brand new, I'm going to be a little hesitant because I'm thinking, hmm, I may be, I may be a little bit off here. And so I just, we got to be humble with um, particularly our new theories. So David, I appreciate that, that remark. I, I like that. uh, I like your thinking. So let's jump over to Exodus uh, 17 and talk about how Moses, how is it Moses could hold up his arms longer while fighting the Amalekites? What what was with that? Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting story. The, um, the Amalekites, you know, as they're kind of leaving uh, Egypt, you know, they've crossed the Red Sea. The Amalekites are kind of in the sort of living in the desert wastelands. And let's face it, the Israelites were, they were not trained warriors. I mean, you know, if you, you don't generally, if you have an oppressed people, the people, the people that are, you know, making them slaves don't train them to be warriors. And so the Israelites were not warriors. They didn't actually have a lot of weapons. Um, they were actually quite weak. they you know, been traveling in the wilderness, and they get attacked um, by the Amalekites. And the Amalekites show up a couple places later, and we can talk about that more if you're interested. But, you know, M- Moses commissions um, his kind of his his mentor, his servant, Joshua, to go fight, because Joshua is more the warrior. And so Moses stands up on, on the mountain kind of and is kind of overseeing that, you know, he's, Moses is maybe 80 at, at this point in time. He's not, a, he's not a, 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 young, a young buck out there to read the, lead the troops. And interesting, Moses, it's kind of a little bit of a, a trial and error. Moses, whenever Moses lifts up his hands, Joshua's troops win or winning, and then he, as he lowers his hand, the troops start to lose. Um, and um, so he ends up getting his his two, you know, his brother Aaron and his kind of colleague er, her to kind of hold up his hands because I, you know if you guys want to try this sometime, if you, if you want to try this at home, not not if any of you guys are driving, please don't do this if you're driving. <laughs> hold up your hands and just see how long you can hold them up. You know, if you're strong, you might be able to do this for a minute or two. But, after, you know, this you know, how long is this battle going on? This is going on for a while. So he, Moses needs help. And I think there's a, a variety of things that, that kind of are takeaways for this. One, it's pretty clear that the symbol of Moses lifting up his hands is he's saying it's a prayer, really. It's, a, it's an, an active prayer. God help us. 
we desperately need your help. And Moses is also saying, but, you know, I can't even do this on my own. I need the help of my his partners there, Aaron and, and um, her on, on his left and his right. And I think it's just a beautiful image of how God um, wants us to be dependent upon him and wants us to be dependent on um, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and so I think um, there's, a, there's a lot of, um, uh, a lot of takeaways for us uh, when it comes to prayer and colleagues and partnership uh, and support that God wants to, um, God wants to come alongside and help us, but he's also wants us to be dependent upon him and uh, in the process. David, you did mention the Amalekites, and there are a lot of different people in the land. Do we know the origin stories of a lot of these peoples? Are some a little bit uh, less known to us, or where did where do these people come from? Yes, I mean that's a that's a great question. Um, thank it's you, okay. Peter. It's an okay question. I mean, it's it's yeah. I mean, it's okay. It's not it's not really kind of on the bill caliber. Nah, but, thank know, you, thank you, Peter, David. It's, it's a pretty, it's pretty thank good. you, Doctor Lamb. Uh, <laughs> so. Um, you know, if, actually, if you go back to the first couple chapters of Genesis, um, you know, in the first, oh, you know, chapters, well, 10, 11, um, uh, 5, 5, 10, and 11, we find out about a lot of the origin stories um, for the, the neighbors, um, you know, the Amalekites, uh, the, well, the Ammonites, and the, the Moabites, those guys show up a little bit later because they're um, descendants of Lot. We find out about them in Genesis 19. Uh, and that's a little bit of a creepy story. I won't go into details about that right now. Um, but, um, yeah, so these neighbors of the Israelites, um, if you go back far enough, they're all, um, they're all kind of relatives of, of the descendants of Adam. And, um, you know, connected to, to Noah and kind of loose cousins of Abraham if, as you go back far enough. All right, let's take a little break. Dr. David Lamb is our guest. We're starting our Old Testament series, which will run for a long time. We're talking about Moses tonight and learning a lot. We'll take a short break and be right back. with our Old Testament series, which started today, and we'll run this for a long time, probably at least a year. We're talking about people from the Old Testament. Our opening guest tonight is Dr. David T. Lamb, and he is an uh, Old Testament professor. Really glad to have him on the program. And Peter and I have been pelting him with excellent questions, according to my tally sheet. I think I'm a little ahead. I'm not sure, but I'll see if I can <laughs> jump ahead with this one. Um, David, what lessons uh, can we learn from Moses and his interaction with Jethro? Yeah, so that's good. Jethro um, is uh, Moses's father-in-law, so um, Moses's wife, uh, Zipporah's father. Um, and, you know, Moses is coming out, leading the people. Um, you know, they've, there's a series of crises. They, 
they run out of bread and God gives them manna from heaven, water from the rock. We talked about that a minute ago. They get attacked by the Amalekites. Um, And then his father-in-law, Jethro, shows up, and um, he ends up kind of just watching Moses interact. And one of the things that's really interesting is Jethro uh, is pretty able to speak bluntly to his son-in-law. <laughs> and for any of you guys or any of you guys who are married, I hope you have great relations, um, kind of like Moses and Jethro did with your in-laws. Um, traditionally, that's not always been the case. Um, and I won't go into examples, and you know we don't need to talk about the specifics. But Jethro noticed what uh, Moses was doing, and he praised God for the deliverance and all that he was going on. But he noticed that Moses was getting burned out. And what was burning Moses out was he was doing everything himself. And people were coming to see him all day, and they all had problems. And for those guys who were involved in leadership in businesses or churches or schools or wherever you might be involved in in leadership positions, you realize that there's a lot of people that have problems. And um, it's easy to get overwhelmed. And, you know, everybody wanted to talk to Moses. And, you know, we can kind of envision why they would want to talk to Moses. But Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, steps up and says, hey, this is not good. You're going to wear yourself out. And I think um, the, the principle here that is really profound for all of us, for any of us who are involved in kind of leadership positions, even in our families, is we, um, we need to be looking for people that we can delegate to. And it's easy to think, I'm just going to do it myself because – I'm going to do I'm going to do the best job, and I, I don't trust other people. But um, one of the big themes we see in in Scripture is the importance of delegation and the importance of raising up new generations of leadership. Um, and so, for me, uh, as uh, as an Old Testament professor, this is one of the things I'm concerned about. I'm, tr- I'm concerned about raising up next generations of leaders. And I don't know what realms you guys are all involved with. You guys are involved in churches. Um, maybe you're, you're, you're a Sunday school teacher. Well, who are the, the next generations of Sunday school teachers that you are training? So if, you know, God forbid something were to happen to you, that, that somebody else could step in and lead for you. And, and this is the, the, the beauty of Jethro's advice here for Moses. He, he just says, listen to, Jethro says, listen to me and I will give you counsel and God will be with you. And Moses listens, and he delegates. And you, as you keep reading through the story of Exodus, you see there's all these times and ways and places where other people, um, you know, and, 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 and Aaron, like Aaron and Miriam, and then, um, you know, there's other, um, uh, uh, her, or her and a few other folks, jo- um, Joshua, where these other people that Moses has raised up are able to um, take over for him. And um, I think we can all say on some level, it goes back to the wisdom of Jethro. Hmm. Well, and David, that gets passed down to then Joshua later, right? Where, where Moses confirms yeah. a mantle of leadership on Joshua at another time. And this is the way it works in terms of, of needing to pass things on to the next generation. It's, that's always a really challenging thing, isn't it? But somehow Moses was willing to give that up at the right time and let the next generation come forward. Yeah. And I think that, um, one of the things that we see tragically, I mean, Jesus did an amazing job of raising up a new generation of leadership. I mean, Jesus made training the disciples 
his priority, right? Um, Moses, on some level, you have to say the transition between Moses and Joshua is one of the best in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And that's really, in some ways, one of the, the best legacies that, you know, there's just, there's just a lot of great leaders in the Bible who don't raise up the next generation. And um, I think that, unfortunately, is a problem in, in many of our churches today, that we have too many people that are too, they're too unwilling to let go of power and unwilling to devote time and energy to training and equipping uh, younger leaders. And I think that that's, um, that's tragic. But um, yeah, Moses did it. Well done. Mm-hmm. Dr. David Lamb is our guest, um, Old Testament professor uh, at Missio Seminary. David, what, what can we learn about prayer from Moses and his interactions with God? Yeah, Moses is, I mean, I think, I, I don't, I can't think of anybody else. I mean, I guess you could talk about David and the Psalms, but um, we just get so many interactions of Moses really confronting God in some just bold, wild, crazy ways. Um, uh, you know, I think perhaps most, most poignantly, dramatically in Exodus 32, 33, 34, the, you read through these chapters, it's, it's actually a, after the tragedy of the golden calf, and you see Moses, um, God is revealing himself and revealing his character. God gets angry in Genesis um, 32, and <laughs> I don't know if, if, if you guys have people in your family that, you know, when they get angry, you know, what do they do? Maybe they slam the door or something, you know, when, 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 you know, growing up, if somebody in my family got, was angry, what we'd all do is we would just avoid them. Right? You know, <laughs> I'm going to go to the other part of the house now, right? But Moses, okay, now, and now you're thinking about not just this person is angry, but this person is God. <laughs> this person has the power to smite you. <laughs> and Moses, you know, he says, I'm going to, you know, he's angry. God's, gonna, God's angry. He's going to wipe out the Israelites because of the golden calf. And in this situation, Moses approaches God and basically convinces God to change his mind and not wipe out his people. And I just think, I don't know, I think Moses was taking his life in his hand uh, when he does this. And I think for me, I learn about what it means to pray more boldly. Um, I learn about the privilege it is to be in prayer. I mean, Moses had an amazing relationship. And I think on some level, you know, you know, we've, we've got God's, um, you know, Jesus has come, God's spirit is with us. Things are different um, in many ways, you know, post New Testament, but Moses still gives us this amazing example of seeking God out. And he, he boldly asked for God to reveal himself to him. Uh, He says, show me your glory at the end of Exodus 33. And God reveals, he says, well, you can't, you can't look at me face to face. Although it's a little bit confusing there because uh, Moses does say somehow that God, um, God spoke to him face to face as one speaks to a friend. But God cannot fully reveal all of who he is to Moses. But Moses is still somehow, because he asked, Jesus says, ask and it will be given. Well, Moses asks. 
and God reveals his character um, in a little bit later in Genesis, in Exodus 34. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God great, merciful, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. I think God revealed himself to Moses so boldly and so dramatically because Moses asked for it. And I think for me, I, I just, wow, I, I'm just in awe of Moses and his ability to seek God out, to seek and ask, to knock, <laughs> to you know, paraphrase Jesus's language from the Sermon on the Mount. But I think, um, I don't know, I, I, I learn a lot about prayer from Moses. Mm-hmm. David, you are so much fun to have on the show. Thank you so much for making time tonight. My pleasure. Yeah. Um, Peter, any parting thoughts or words for David before we uh, let him go bail water in his backyard? <laughs> no, I just, I so appreciate getting underneath some of these stories that maybe we read in passing or sort of puzzle over. And, and David, just thanks for getting into them more deeply so we can kind of get a, a fuller portrait uh, of his entire life. There's so much about Moses in the scriptures. It was great. Yeah, David, you are, yeah. Co- you are coffee with a friend. <laughs> I just, just want to tell all those listeners out there, you've got to get into God's word yourself. So read it on your own and, you know, don't, you know, don't be, don't be overwhelmed. You don't have to read the whole thing, but just read it five verses or 10 verses or maybe a chapter. Do that every day. God will speak to you. I, I encourage you to do that. Fantastic. Right. Thank you so much, David. Have a great rest of the night. That thank is, you. My pleasure. Yeah. That is all the show we have for today. Peter, thank you so much. This is a great start to a great series. It was a great start indeed. Yeah. We will look forward to, uh, I'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow. You'll be on the uh, Guide Talk panel. I look forward to that. That's all ahead. Dr. Mark Musk will be joining me tomorrow as well. Have a great night, everyone. Just be reminded when you lay your head on that pillow, God has a great plan for your life. And he loves you. I do too. I'll see you tomorrow.